Hello, and welcome back to Petter Unplugged, the place where Petter people share their stories about the real Lake Petter, not that big old impoundment you see on the maps of today, but the glacial outwash Lake Petter with the pink quartzite beach nestled under the brooding Franklin Range, which was senselessly flooded in 1972 for a hydro storage lake. 50 years later, a campaign to restore Petter is underway. We are very excited to bring you a second episode this week. And today's chat is with Dr. Craig Brown. Now retired, Craig, along with his amazing wife, Jill, is devoting his time to the preservation of Tassie's magnificent forests, our greatest defence against the impacts of both the climate and biodiversity crisis. But Craig is also chipping away at the growing Restore Petter campaign. Because, hey, not only do we have to protect existing ecosystems, but we have to restore degraded environs too. As a 16-year-old, unsupervised, Craig and a few mates headed into Lake Petter. We chat about that trip and early conservation politics. As Craig's mum, Rosemary, was one of the United Tasmania Group's very first candidates. And we dive into society's progression to recognising the necessities of wild places to our being. Grab a cuppa and enjoy today's Lake Petter story with Dr. Craig Brown. Well, there were seven of us, kids, boys. We went to friends and uh, we'd done a bit of bushwalking ourselves, uh, Fresno Peninsula mainly. And this was 1970, so we weren't particularly politically aware, but uh, we knew that flooding was in the, in the pipeline and that... Um, both the Liberal and the Labor, Labor government supported it. So we thought really that we'd go and check it out ourselves. It not being a terribly arduous walk over Scott's Peak, I think, yes, onto the beach. And um, in those days, uh, you know, as 16-year-olds, we had fairly um, straightforward kind of bushwalking gear, but, but it was just fine. A lovely weekend. It was in January. And, yeah, we were very impressed with the the environment, the, um, the flora and so forth, and the lake itself and the beach, you know, noting that the, I think there were three aircraft on the beach at once, that sort of thing, and um, we realised how substantial the lake was and, and how, um, how unique it was. We got, were there for two, two nights, uh, got quite chilly one night. I remember my best mate cooked a terrific meal and he was, he was you know, boasting about it when... Uh, his foot slipped and there was a bit of mud there, I think. It had been raining earlier in the week. And his mill tipped over into the mud. And that caused uh, great hilarity for the group. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it was a good sort of um, bonding time for, for, for young guys. And we had chats with other groups groups there. So that was, you know, lovely, of course. I mean, there would have been probably um, that weekend, I guess there might have been 40-odd 40, 40 people there altogether walking out. Popular time of year. I don't remember exactly how many, but uh, certainly quite a few other walkers. Do you remember how they felt about the flooding at the time? Well, interestingly enough, Tabitha, um, two of the guys, their fathers were engineers and uh, worked for the hydro. So they were a little bit torn, you could say. And another couple of guys were quite into bushwalking and saw the great value of keeping it, preserving it, conserving it. Yep. Yeah, which brings you to my little story, really, or my family story. My mother, Rosemary, uh, was very annoyed about it. And she, 
went to meetings, you know, the late Petter Action Committee meetings. I don't think she was ever actually on the committee, but she certainly went to, went to, to meetings and, you know, talked to friends and family about, about it. So she was, you know, that awakened her in terms of environmentalism, I think. My father, he was a, a you know, a liberal voter. He was a small businessman. So he, he supported that kind of sort of Menzian liberalism of that period. And um, he wouldn't have wanted to uh, sort of rock the boat at all in terms of protecting the environment, being part of the business community and so forth. Uh, so that caused um, a degree of um, conversation in the family. And, but dad was very kind of, he's a very kind of, he's a very gentle guy. So he um, ultimately accepted mum's activism she, Rosemary, she um, then stood for the Greens in 70, or UTG rather, in 1976 for the seat of Franklin. Wait a sec. No, it would be Denison, wouldn't it? Now Clark. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, you know, as uh, that was, yeah, 76. So I was, what, 22 then. And mum put a vote UTG banner outside the front fence. I think dad sort of um you know grumbled a bit <laughs> you know it's quite a quite a sort of brave thing to do to do back then uh, i think because as you know you know we still get our greens um, posters torn down we had torn one torn down the bottom uh, outside the front of our place in the last election oh really yeah yeah we did and um so what happened then well mum then uh, rose me then she got arrested at the franklin blockade uh when was that Tabitha, 82 or 83, something yeah, like that. Yeah, 82, yeah. 82, was it? Yeah, so she was one of the 11 or 13, 1100, I think. Mm. So that was, that was um, another step. By then, Dad, Lindsay, had, had uh, come round, really, and uh, it's even rumoured that he voted um, voted for the Greens. But um, <laughs> I can't be absolutely sure of that. Um, <laughs> You know, pretty nerve-wracking for her, but she was with a, you know, quite a largish group of people, and she was in the clink, and um, she was taken to the, to the police station at Queenstown, and I think she, they were locked up for for a few hours or some some such, and were in the police station at least. Yeah, so that um, was quite a watershed moment for the family. When Petter was flooded, yep. how did that affect you, having been there and experienced the magic of that place firsthand? Yeah, I think I was kind of numb with regard to it, quite honestly. I mean, I wasn't totally annoyed like I am these days with regard to, you know, the Tarkine or just native forestry. But, you know, I was um, studying medicine at the time, so so I was pretty distracted by my studies and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I was playing cricket and being social. <laughs> and a feeling of resignation too, probably. Yeah, it was flooded and, um, you know, what else could we do, for goodness sake? And, uh, and I'm really pleased now that um, you know thanks to people like uh, Helen G and Christine Milne and so forth and, uh, Bob Brown of course uh, you know that there's this plan to restore Lake Petter. Um, having your mother heavily involved um, particularly around the UTG um, would have influenced your awareness a little bit in terms of the community's um, awareness of what was happening at Lake Petter. Did you feel that majority of the community knew what was happening or were they rather oblivious to what was out there being so, mm. I guess, subjectively inaccessible. Mm. Yeah. No, the latter, I think, yeah, uh, mm. just not aware really. And going along with the, you know, the, the government line that um, mm. post-war development was really important and that uh, we had to power up or perish. 
I think a lot of people believed that right through until, I guess, the early 80s, really. And, um, and of course, we had the environmentalists and that fabulous, successful campaign to save the Franklin. So up until then, I think uh, we were pretty well asleep. Mm. Yes, sort of society's in a similar position now as we were in the 70s in terms of we're going to come out of COVID, but we're in a climate and in a biodiversity crisis as well. Mm-hmm. We need pivotal, fundamental change to how we think of our relationship with the environment. Mm. How do you see the restoration of Lake Petta unfolding in the future? Do you see that there's a window of opportunity for it now? Are we not quite there? Is you know, Could this be the thing that, that shifts our attitudes towards the natural environment? Yeah, well, there must be at some point. I mean, I think um, we're not, not quite there, I don't think. Uh, you know, I'm... As you may know, I'm, I've been tending to focus on the forests. So with regard to PETA, uh, I think the population as a whole will need to be convinced that it's a good idea. I think we'll need some political punch, which really effectively means, I think, another minority government, a significant minority government, you know, like like we had, when was that, around 2000, when we had five members? If we can get, obviously, be part of a minority government, but with significant representatives in the House of Assembly, then I think um, we could well develop the mandate, really. These things tend to go in cycles, don't they, in terms of the politics, like, you know, every decade or so, or so you know, we managed to, to get enough uh, members in the Assembly to really achieve something. And then... When you were at PETA, were you camping in the, in the dunes there? Did you explore around the Franklands or...? Pop yeah, down no. to find any petapennies or anything like that. No, we no, we were simply in the in the dunes or the scrub at the at the back of the beach there. Yeah, uh, we just walked around that that area. We didn't we didn't go um, investigating. And did you all walk in there unsupervised, or were you <laughs> were there mm. uh, some parents, or was it as a school trip? Yeah, uh, no, it's just us, just an unsupervised yeah bunch of sixteen year olds really. Yeah, I mean, I think as a Tasmanian. It's um, you know it gives you a bit of street cred, it makes you feel more Tasmanian in a way. And um, when we came back in eight years ago, two thousand thirteen, you know we decided that we'd do some of the great walks that I really got around to as a kid. Our two kids have you know done the uh, South Coast Track and Frenchman's and Mount Anne and Walls of Jerusalem and. Um, so from Mount Anne, of course, Tabitha, as you know, you get a fabulous view going west mm. or every direction, <laughs> really. But um, the um, the new Lake Petter is, is there before you. And, um, I mean, I think a lot of people would see it or drive past it down there to Strathgordon and so forth and think, oh, well, gee, this is a nice big lake and, ah, oh, there's people out there. Oh, they, oh some fishing, oh, we're here. And, and, oh, there are some little beaches here and there pretty sort of um, primordial beaches. I mean, not primordial, just sort of pretty um, new and, and not terribly impressive beaches, but still there, there is there are a few being formed. So these people would be perhaps thinking this place is okay. And that's um, probably somewhat of a barrier for the, um, for the Restore Petter movement, how to, how to get that shift to get people to think about what it means to, you know, respect and restore the environment. And uh, interesting when they first built the Gordon River Road, so from and after the flooding, so from seventy three to seventy six. 
Mm-hmm. About 68,000 people on average per year going to Strathgordon to look at the new lake because, as you say, mm. it's enormous. It's extremely accessible for everybody. Mm. And now, uh, just before COVID happened, when Tasmania and the world was in peak tourism boom, there was only 19,000 people a year visiting it. Yeah. Some, and it is undeniably a beautiful, beautiful place. And, yeah, Mount, the views from Mount Anne are quite extraordinary. Mm. But um, how to yeah, get that visual representation of, of what was there and mm. you could just imagine, you know, the, the lakes, particularly on a clear day when you get those, the reflections still of the mountains on the lake. Um, mm. But what it would be just with the button grass plains restored and the you know, beautiful valleys and little creeks running through it. Mm. Yeah. And what's Lake Gordon like? Do you think? Yeah, because the um, Lake Petter's got, a, it's legislated how much water can be used out mm. of Lake Petter for power because they wanted to retain the aesthetic values for tourism purposes. Mm. So because they only use the top meter, there's very minimal erosion, whereas Gordon is fluctuating so much. It's, you know, got that band of kind of skeletal trees around it. Yeah, so I think yeah. subjectively it's viewed not as beautiful, mm. but it's still very charismatic if, even with those trees there. Mm. And I guess everything that's possible tourism-wise on Lake Pedder can be done on Lake Gordon. Yep. In terms of kayaking, um, fishing, there's actually more species in Gordon than there is in Pedder. Mm. Uh, when you c- compare the two, it's and the fact that yeah, we've we've legislated how much you can use out of Pedder, and when they could have changed that legislation and used more water for power during the shortage from 2015 and 16 when Basslink was down, and then we had the drought conditions, and just prior to that, Hydro had done a mass release to yeah export power and get a bit of money not knowing that the the drought conditions were going to follow they they chose not to change the legislation and not draw down on PETA so it's not working you know if we're not going to use it in an emergency for power and it's not working as a tourism destination because of the decrease in numbers is it's the only destination in Tasmania that's decreased in visitation mm. um you Didn't just wonder that. what mm. you know yeah. what what is it still there for my six school friends, they, um, two of their fa- of them, their fathers were hydro engineers and they were very, you know, like you follow what your dad does sort of kind. And they were really pro-development, but they also have um, quite significantly changed. And because of my activism with Jill, Darkind getting arrested, you know, they, and I'm still, we have a WhatsApp uh, app group, this, these same characters, believe it or not. And they... Um, uh, really quite appalled by the, you know, the continuing destruction of, um, of high conservation forests. So, um, yeah, people do shift. People can change. I mean, I can remember seeing a, an ABC documentary. This is about, um, about the flooding of Petta. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but um, it interviewed Sir Alan Knight and uh, Eric Rees and maybe Angus Bethune as well, because mm-hmm. both Bethune and Rees were pro-damming Petta. But Reese and Sir Alan Knight, you know, to the day they died, they, they were sure that it was the right thing to do. But other people uh, can change, I guess, perhaps if they're not so vested, so involved. And, and certainly my mates have. They're quite proud that Brownie, that's me, Brownie <laughs> and Billy got, got arrested. And, um, you know, they're saying, when's your next court date, mate? <laughs> <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. We've got to go back to court again. Do you think your friends have changed 
or that their awareness of environmental and conservation issues has come about because socially things in their life has changed or they've generally just noticed that there is an increase in destruction of natural places and we've sort of overreached the capacity to naturally regenerate what we are extracting from it? Well, I think it's a bit of both, really. As far as the social aspects are concerned, I think that uh, these characters, friends of mine, they're certainly uh, socially aware and they do great things for uh, society and um, they are influenced by good friends such as myself, but also probably more importantly, family. And uh, I guess that's all part of unconditional love, really. And uh, certainly we can all experience change, really um, have heartfelt conversations. Socially more broad, uh, I think with the rise of the teals and the greens in, in metropolitan areas, uh, where my friends, in fact, live on the mainland, um, uh, that's having a huge influence, I think, on, on how people are thinking. And economically, uh, really, you need to be uh, across changes, and these, these guys are, you know, in terms of ESG investments, for example. Uh, ESG, I think it's ethical, environmental, environmental social governance investments and uh, uh, certainly, you know, being capitalists and we are, or to a lesser or greater degree, all capitalists. Um, you'd really want to balance portfolio and that in these days would have to include ESG investments. Um, and getting to, to PEDA, if people can see that there's an economic and a rational argument or arguments for restoration, then, then uh they would be prepared to support it. Um, and with regard to the second part of your question, Tabitha, um, destruction of the environment, I think it was, or, um, and um, speaking of capacity for the ecosystem to, to survive and extreme weather events and so forth, I think that um, uh, that all adds, adds weight to the accepted science. Uh, on climate change and um, and many people you know that really does cause a significant impact for for people that are, have previously been uh, skeptical and they they know that we really do need to act and there's, there's a kind of a cognitive uh, dissonance there perhaps uh, in that uh, people can hold two views of views at once and it doesn't stop them acting and I think that should be recognized as a as a positive thing and people shouldn't be too criticised uh, too, uh, too, too much uh, for that because, after all, none of us are, or very few people are, are perfect in, in, uh, in the way they behave towards the environment. Uh, you know, for example, you know, perhaps Jill and I should be planting more trees or, or perhaps we should have an electric vehicle by now. We certainly are not into uh, overseas travel for the present time and that <laughs> has been a, a positive thing, really. So we were... Just to recap, we were novitiates, to use a fancy word, at the time, sort of embryonic in terms of our environmental awareness when we walked in at 16. And we, the seven of us have had different paths since then. And as I said, you know, mine was 
the most radical, I suppose, because of my mother Rosemary's influence, having been a member of the UTG and standing in, in 76 and then being arrested at Franklin with the other 1,100 people. And I think, importantly, the others who are more conservative than me have, have, have now, at this important stage in history, really have um, become very inquisitive about the environment and what is possible and what should be protected and even restored. So it's all pretty good. Thank you so much for listening to episode 11 of PETA Unplugged with the one and only Dr. Craig Brown. Feel free to contact us to share your story about Lake PETA or learn more about this marvellous global icon. You'll find all the details you need at lakepetta.org or on the standard social media channels under at Restore Thanks again for listening. I'm Tamitha Badger.